Hey, Geekscapists, welcome to a brand new Geekscape episode. We are going to be talking movies, video games, comic books, but mainly movies on this brand new episode of Geekscape, your favorite pop culture podcast. Uh, I'm Jonathan London. I'm sitting here in the uh, uh, Westwood One Studios in Culver City, and um, I've got a really exciting guest for you guys. His movie is out. It's called Jungle. It's got Daniel Radcliffe in it, and uh, I saw it the other night and loved it. We're going to be talking a bit about it. It's Greg McLean. He's the director of, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, his movies. Uh, you probably are if you're listening to Geekscape. You probably really, really are. He did last year's Belko Experiment. Uh, he also uh, started out with Wolf Creek, a horror movie I saw in theaters that I really enjoyed. It has a sequel. And I think arguably my favorite movie, although Jungle's up there. Having just seen Jungle, Jungle's up there. Uh, I love Rogue, <laughs> the, the, the killer giant crocodile movie. Uh, with um, Sam Worthington. Uh, and, and who's in that as well? Mia, Was- Mia Wasikowska. Mia Wasikowska. Rada Mitchell. And Rada Mitchell. And both of them went on to like, uh, all three of them just kind of went on to like do amazing stuff. Right. Uh, I love having you here, Greg. Like, I'm Good really glad. Uh, we had to shift the recording from like the typical Monday Geekscapist to Friday uh, for Greg's schedule, but so worth it because as you guys know from the long running podcast, uh, I love talking to directors. Um, how's it been uh, promoting Jungle here in the States? Is it is it out in Australia? Uh, it comes out in Australia November 9th. So okay. it's, it's out in the US and UK today, uh, October 20, uh, in select theaters and on demand. So you can go and watch Jungle right now if you so desire. And then once you finish Jungle, you can go back and watch Rogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, you have this, um, you know, what's, what's interesting about Jungle, because, uh, and I posted for questions for you uh, on our uh, we have a podcast called the Horror Movie Night Podcast, and that's where I posted questions for you because they're very versed right. in horror movies, those, right, those right. kids. Like, you know the horror fans. Yep. And you've been making movies for horror fans for how long? Over 10 years. Uh-huh. I mean, you ha- your, was your first short, was Plead a, a, a horror film? Um, my first short was really kind of like a surreal thriller. Mm-hmm. I was, at that time... You know, my favorite directors were David Lynch and Alfred Hitchcock, so I was trying to make a kind of Hitchcock, Lewis Bunuel, you know, right. David Lynch-style. What does it mean? Kubrickian. What's he Kubrickian. trying to say to us? What's yeah. he trying to say? At the, at, the time, at the time, I didn't have anything to say, so I was just trying to say what other people were saying but do it in a cool way. I think when you're starting out, <laughs> you just want to say anything, you and, you're, do, and right. you're, you're just yelling out into the darkness, right. <laughs> hoping right. to get some kind of echo back. Yes. And you know, you, you you know, people usually start by trying to, you know, they you know, what what's the term about um, imitation is the sincerest form of flattery, right? You know, you you kind of ape your heroes a little bit at the start, and then you you know realize that you've got to find your own voice and do your own thing. But but my first short film, Plead, is actually you know, it's it's not it's not terrible. It's just incredibly pretentious. Mm-hmm. And I mean, looking back at it, are you like, oh, uh, it's just a bit like it would play in certain film festivals, and people would kind of be scratching their chin going, hmm, what is the meaning of that film? In other film festivals, they'd be saying, what a piece of crap. Yeah, they, they call it as a, and they're just like, like yeah. we know what he's trying yeah, to do. Yes. Uh, I, think it we mean, love him. I think it means something. Did, but... you, did you go to film school? Because uh, for me, that was graduate film school. Like That was like, everybody's making those things. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, and was that your, was like your, was that like your thesis film? Or was I, that... I didn't go to film school. Right. No, I... Um, that was your film school. That was my film school. <laughs> that's, I... that's where you're making your pretentious stuff. That's right. <laughs> I don't need them to be pretentious. Um, I know I couldn't get into the film schools. I applied to the two film schools in Australia, and um, they unwisely rejected my application. Uh, not that I'm holding a grudge. 
And then, um, then I actually went to the theatre school. I went to NIDA, which is the National Institute of Dramatic Art in Sydney, which is like the big drama school there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of came around a different way. And then I went into, um, just started writing scripts after that and you know, working in theatre and plays and then came through commercials, directing commercials and short films and then eventually started with Wolf Creek. And it's strange because when you think of uh, commercials, the performances are almost like imagery. You're setting up imagery and it's not so much character as right. much as it's uh, like inertia that you're directing mm-hmm. um, or some weird, uh, some, some almost a natural sometimes form of staging to showcase a product or showcase uh, a, an image. Uh, and coming from theater, how did you make that transition to, okay, I, you know, I have this, I'm pretty well versed in working with actors because that is my greatest tool on a stage. Here I am doing commercials where I have to really excite the eye. Mm. How did you make that transition? Because it seems like a tough one. Um, well, it, it, I, before I went to theater school, I was at art school. So I spent, mm. I spent six years going to art schools because I was going to be a visual artist. Um, I can draw really well. I used to do all of my own storyboards and I was going to be a fine artist. Um, and and then I kind of sidetracked into movies because I realized that was where my real passion was. So I sort of had that visual ability as well. Um, and the reason I went to theater school was that I was seeing a lot of, you know, films coming out of Australia and short films that particularly didn't have amazing acting at that. You know, some films just had, the acting wasn't up to scratch. Right. And so I really went and just thought I want to really learn everything I can about acting so I can apply visual skill with, you know, performance skill. And so then you do commercials and I think that you're probably at that point itching for narrative. Right. Like you're like, okay, I love commercials. This is great. It's uh, paying the bills. Is that the point where you started a production company? Is that where you kind of start putting your toe in that water? What I started doing was going to uh, theatre school. I came into contact with playwrights and plays and I started to write myself and realized that directing and acting and and writing are very, very similar in, in some ways. So I started to write. I'd never really entertained the idea of writing before that time because I... Um, you know, I, I wasn't great at English at school. I didn't have particular skills in that area. And I really just went out and kind of taught myself how to write and how to write screenplays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after writing a bunch of those, uh, I ended up, you know, working for a number of years to try and get my first film made, which was Wolf Creek. Um, was it a deliberate uh, choice to go into horror? Because of, uh, I feel like with horror, um, in my first short was a comedy called Gay by Dawn. So it was like a comedy and a horror, <laughs> which was which was which was designed to get response. It was right. designed for uh, what I considered, you know, and no, this is definitely not an insult to you horror fans, uh, to be a rabid, very vocal, responsive audience um, that is just hungry. And right. even though they're huge, and they may be the biggest single audience we have next to maybe kids. Um, you're you're gonna know if you did right or not, right? You know, was that a was that a, a conscious decision, or where did that story for Wolf Creek come from? Um, it, it came from uh, you know I, wor- I was working on the idea that became Wolf Creek for about six years before I made the film. Mm-hmm. Um, it came from me loving Alfred Hitchcock, and basically I was obsessed with Alfred Hitchcock. I wanted to make a Hitch- Hitchcock style thriller, and um, I wanted to use the Australian Outback as a location for a story that featured a, a, a bad guy or a killer chasing a bunch of people. Um, over a number of years, I wrote various treatments and you know stories, and I wrote my first thing I wrote for it was like a seventy-page kind of prose document describing the story. Um, and then over the years, I wrote various versions of that treatment, trying to get the story right. Um, and it was ultimately just such a big, expensive idea; I couldn't get it made because it would have been a thirty-million-dollar film. Sure. 
Um, and then after years of kind of writing that and then other scripts, I kind of came, by the, came to the realization that um, I can really lower the bar to entry by basically making it very simple. So I decided to make it just three characters, uh, you know, one, one bad guy and just a highway. I thought if I can do that, then I'll then I'll you know be able to make a movie that's kind of um, doable. You know, some like minimalist. And when you see directors in their first movies, a lot of them are there. Like you, like you obviously have like the Spielberg Duel movie, which right. is two characters yeah. and this menacing truck driver. Um, do you mind uh, moving? Let's see where I am right now. Yeah. Like like move your mic. If you need to move your mic, you can just uh, that Go way on. you're like going. I just want you to shoot right down the barrel. Oh, <laughs> so you're way clear. Awesome. That? It's great. It's great. Um, so um, you make Wolf Creek. How how hard was that a process of making coming out of commercials and theater and visual arts before that? Like how hard was it making your first movie? You know, there's that book where like the Coen brothers and everybody right. tells, talks about like their first film. Yeah. What would be your story for how you guys put that together? Um, the, the the kind of – there was about a f- five or six-year period before Wolf Creek happened of trying to make movies. I had written a number of different movies – um, one of the first scripts I got got optioned by a production company was going to be made. So my career was going to start with a very different movie. Um, ultimately, that film, I got kicked off that movie. So I got hired on, on my own script. They I got optioned hired, it? Optioned it. They took it. I was going to be the director on it. I was hired to direct it. And then ultimately, they couldn't finance the film with me as a director. So they unceremoniously showed me the door on the, on the project. And then they put another director in its They did. Place? They and did, yeah. Did the movie get banned? No. <laughs> no <laughs> they still couldn't raise the money. No, because what happened was... Um, you know, I, I loved that project. I put everything into it. It got taken away. And then I made Wolf Creek. And then I got that movie back and made that. And that was my second film, Rogue. Oh, great. So I actually got my film back and I made it. So you got taken off a of Rogue. Yes. And you got put back on Rogue. And it sounds like um, the lesson learned. In, which one did you write first? Um, rogue. Okay. So it seems like the – and that is almost like a – uh, a duel type of thing where you have this menacing force right. almost and, uh, and it's unseen in a way, you know, or, or faceless. It's, it's, it's just more, really a force of nature. Right. And it's unstoppable and it's, and it's coming because if you haven't seen Rogue Geekscapist, do not be dissuaded by the fact that I say giant killer crocodile movie. Uh, it is a really awesome movie. It's the Citizen Kane of giant crocodile movies. <laughs> I mean, was that what it, that was a quote, wasn't it? That was given I, to you guys on it. I don't did know. Somebody should, say that. No, I did because I agree with you. 100%. Right. I just made it up, but I, it could be. <laughs> yeah. Sure. No, use I, it. I think it is, and basically, it's it's tourists again out in the Australian outback, and they find themselves in the nesting ground of this giant crocodile. Well, it's actually not. It's a bee, it's a large crocodile, but it's 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 not it's not superhumanly sized. It's no, a, it's a real. It's twenty five feet long. And twenty five feet long has been on record. They find, there's one now floating around there that's like twenty six feet long. So it's, yeah, sequel time. Yeah, <laughs> yes, sequel time. <laughs> sequel exactly. time. Exactly. And and so basically, it's like a nesting ground or something. They find themselves like in this this killer crocodile is like not going to let them out of this right this region of this little this area. It was it's and it's really pretty harrowing and. What the problem with uh, most movies like that, when you think of like a contained, almost hostage movie, is that they exhaust themselves of scenarios very quickly. Because uh, I guess the 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 scene goals in most of those movies is some form of escape, and in this one, there's a bit of ingenuity that that the characters have to kind of adapt to in order to outthink something that doesn't think like them, right? And is physically superior to them. So the scene goals shift quite a bit throughout mm-hmm. the movie and keep it to be a pretty dynamic experience. I found it to be really awesome to watch. Yeah. 
It's a, it's a really, really fun movie and it was certainly inspired. You know, one of my favorite films is Jaws. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I loved I love kind of 70s, you know, character-based thrillers um, that have as much emphasis on the relationships and the human element as the, as the scares and the thrills. Um, so I was really trying to make a kind of, you know, studio-feeling high-end horror film. And it was, you know, it wasn't a low-budget film. It was like a probably a almost $30 million movie. It was quite big, and the visual effects are amazing in the film. We had a great visual effects team on the film. Um, yeah, but yeah, it was yeah. certainly was certainly trying to do a very different kind of horror film. And I think when you know when people think you know big big crocodile, they think you know there's only been bad films in that. Actually, you know what? Alligator is a great film. I'm glad you said that. It's a great movie. We have a couple of questions from the Geekscapers about Alligator and right. how, how awesome Alligator it's is. It's a it's a great film. John <laughs> Sayles script, fantastic, and um, also Dark Age. With, okay. Okay. So. Not familiar with Dark Age, right? Okay, well, people should see, you know, seek out Dark Age. But John Sayles, like, is an artist, and I mean, not only did he do Piranha, so he has the experience with it, the the original seventies Piranha. But um, just, I mean, his scripts are phenomenal, and as a writer and a storyteller, he knows clarity and he knows right. how, to, how to create those scenarios and keep them clear for an audience and to march you through them to Harry to to. Fairly harrowing results, right. right? You know, as you did with this new movie, Jungle. There's right. plenty of, the, uh, and we'll we'll get to this movie. I just we love Rogue, so we're talking <laughs> about Rogue. <laughs> and we, I mean, we'll get back to Rogue really when we get to your questions, Geekscapist. But we should absolutely talk about this uh, uh, movie, Jungle, because it's got Daniel Radcliffe uh, uh, in it, and it's based on a true story of um, a. Uh, I mean, he he's a kid who's maybe. Pre college, in, in his college years, instead, he goes to like Peru. He wants to see the world. He works in Alaska at a fish, you know, a hatchery. And his next adventure is before he goes and, and enlists in college, and then the rest of his life is planned out for him. He decides, I'm going to go down to Peru, South America, and see the world. And he uh, runs into, uh, makes friends with two other tourists from other countries. And then there's a, not, I wouldn't call him a local, but he's. Right. He kind of hangs around, and he's like, "Hey, there's a part, there's a place in the jungle that is almost untouched by man. You've got to see it." And they they take a gander and they go, and it's not easy to get to. And for many, and then when the weather sets in, when 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 problems set in, uh, it becomes much harder to get back from. Right. And I don't know how much I want to ruin it because, yeah. um, the movie is a a true story, but also um, those post credit plates that you guys put on there are just like oh shit yeah. <laughs> like, there's a couple where i'm like ow wow yeah yeah, yeah. It, it is it is an amazing true story um and it, it's something that it's kind of better to experience just knowing the basic idea of what happens and mm-hmm. then because so much of the experience of that story is just seeing just how they survive and what happens to them because it's it's a fairly complicated story as well in terms of relationships and how they, how they fall apart it is also what yossi gets up to and has to do to survive the you know survive the adventure Right, so the main character Yossi, uh, Daniel Radcliffe plays him. Uh, his accent—I don't know—I haven't thrown it against anybody from his original country is uh, Israel. Israel, yeah. And uh, and um, the, you know, Daniel Radcliffe pulls it off. I—I th- I, I mean, from my you know, we, Texan, we, Texan we, American right. you know standards, I'm like, hey, it sounds like a- we had um, we screened in Haifa Film Festival in Israel uh, two weekends ago. Okay. And uh, we had very, very good reports back from the Israelis that it was spot on. Way to go, Daniel. Yeah. He killed it. And he, and he also spent, you know, Daniel's, you know, he's an actor who's so committed to his craft and to getting it right. And also, you know, he is a director, uh, he is, me as a director and him as an actor, we both had this, you know, 
kind of responsibility to get this right because there's real people and the, you know two of the mm-hmm. people involved are still alive. Um, and so he spent weeks with his Dalek coach trying to get the Israeli accent spot on. He was very conscious of not doing a bad accent. So I think he did a great job with it. And so basically, uh, just to give you guys the setup, uh, they trust this semi-local. They go into the jungle and then uh, one of them, you know, they're, they're going to raft back to save time. But one of them has uh, his, his feet start having uh, issues with just the amount of marching, the amount of, you know, you can't go marching around with wet shoes and wet socks for so long. You're going to start getting all sorts of stuff. Uh, and they decide to split up. And so in, in Yossi and the other character, Kevin, uh, Kevin, Kevin Guile. Uh, who's an American? He's American. He's yeah. American. Uh, they decide. Uh, oh, he could have been Canadian. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but uh, he's, he's been played by played by an Australian. Oh, really? Yeah, <laughs> he, he did great. I know, right? And, um, and Alex Russell. And they end up uh, taking the raft back, but the the waters get choppy and the it just breaks apart, and they end up having to to huff it on foot. Definitely get separated, and Yossi ends up lost in this jungle for a, the stretch of the film, and just delirium sets in and everything that he has to fight against um there are sequences in the sequences in this movie and i don't know how much i want to spoil for you geekscapists where you're definitely watching poor daniel radcliffe (laughs) as yossi uh deal with not only the elements but the animals uh and it's his own it's hard to watch it and and also his own his own psyche i mean the biggest thing yes you know, if if you get dumped in the jungle for for three weeks by yourself, you you um the psychological battle is the biggest one because, mm-hmm. and and actually the you know, I'd, I'd also recommend people read the book as well if they like the movie they should definitely read the book um because it's a great read it's a pretty fast read it was written by Yossi the year after these events happened oh my god and um and this is in nineteen eighty one nineteen eighty one yeah yeah and the book is written it's so raw it's really just a description of what happened and what he was going through mentally and emotionally um. And what's really fascinating is what happens to the human mind when you when you when you put it in a survival situation, and we have no one else to talk to. And the things he did to try and um, wake keep himself him, up, or, well, you keep himself positive and keep himself thinking that he's going to get out. And he went through a whole range of um, of emotions, from you know the complete despair to giving up to to believing he was you know believing he was the master of the of the of the universe in this environment. He was going to succeed and. All these transformations of his personality occurred to, that, that in order to help him survive this thing that was almost impossible to survive. Right. And the, um, there's one sequence where you believe he's smacked his head in the, uh, in the rapids, trying to escape from these rapids that took apart the, uh, the um, raft. And he's made it ashore, and he's got this bump on his head. And you're watching this, and you're like, oh, that's not good. He could have hemorrhaging. He could have a cracked skull. He probably did. Uh, and then when he goes to touch the uh, the the bump on his head, it shifts. You realize there might be something under his skin, and disgusting. <laughs> Just yeah. like like I think, and what I love is is for roughly ten years, you're making horror films and you're working with the intensely visceral, right, and creating situations that are intensely visceral and just get to it. Um, Man, man, did they come in use here? Because <laughs> right. I wouldn't describe this as a horror movie. I would, yeah. I would describe, and don't be dissuaded again, Geekscapists who are into horror films. This movie has very horrific moments, but the drama, the human survival element, really takes it into a couple different genres as well. Yeah, it's more. Look, uh, you know, it's it's a survival story and it's an inspiring story, um, uh, and it was useful 
being someone who's worked in the horror and thriller space and who loves those kind of films to make this kind of story because, you know, but also if you look at my other films, they are focused on character and they are focused on atmosphere and setting up, you know, different emotional elements to a movie. But when it came to kind of trying to make the audience feel the fear and feel the kind of, you know, shock or disgust or those kind of horror things that happen in horror films, in this true story, you really get a sense of what it really was like for the character. And what we were really trying to do was just, you know, serve this story and get behind what really happened and make people understand what this guy really went through and what it was like to be in that scenario. Um, but, yeah, there's certainly he certainly went through some extraordinarily uh, painful and um, horrific moments, both mentally and physically. Um, at what point, and in, in, now that I know that uh, that he wrote it the year after he got through this ordeal uh, and that the immediacy of it really attracts me to read this, this Yossi's book. Um, how much liberty do, did you guys find yourself uh, taking in order to put the audience in those shoes or shoeless at some points of this movie? Um, because there are, there are parts where, again, he begins to hallucinate or he begins to, um, his mind starts to wander. Right. And you throw in some some pretty intense awesome visuals and there's some a lot of visual effects elements to that and there's also parts where he so something will trigger a memory of himself back in the safety of his right. uh, of his of his childhood home with his parents mm. and uh and how much how much liberty did you guys take with some of the events in the a lot of, all, all of those kind of sort of fantastical elements are from the book mm-hmm. and you know when i first came onto the script there were a couple of elements in the script that weren't uh, that had been made up for other script by other screenwriters or producers along the way. Oh, okay. And I threw all that out and went straight back to the book because I thought the book was the most pure telling of the story. And my goal was to say, let's just tell that because the book is so clean and so unaffected and so clear and that's why it's a powerful story and a powerful read. So my goal was just to tell all those events as accurately as I could. So all those fantasies and all of those memories that were constantly going through his mind during the adventure are kind of directly from the book about and also, also structurally, like when when those things happen, because at different times um, in his adventure or you know misadventure, he would his mind would throw up different things, you know, um, and usually things to kind of help help him keep going or remind him of something or you know memories of home or memories of other things outside that that context help you survive the the horror of the moment. So it's interesting because you know, being isolated, all you have is your mind and your memories and they become really, really important in this kind of scenario. Yeah, and it seems like, um, you know, you watch The Revenant, right, which is a bit of a survival yeah. Great film. film as well, really awesome, and the elements could not have been different, which is also strange, Geekscapists who know this, but they shot some of The Revenant in South America just because of the receding snow that they could not find really? in Canada. Yeah, they shot parts of the Revenant. They had to go to South America just to find peaks with snow. No on way. Them. Yeah. So, so now you're shooting a film. <laughs> did you shoot in South America? We did. Yeah. Yeah. So you're shooting in South America, <laughs> and uh, and I when I when I saw that they had needed like the Andes or something to shoot in. Wow. Uh, to make parts of the, the Revenant because, uh, and th- you know this is part of Leo's. Uh, Leo's a, a bit of an environmentalist and uh, climate change right. uh, activist. Activist and. Um, I mean, firsthand, they're trying to shoot a movie that is supposed to take place in 1800s, you know, uh, Canada, and suddenly, wow, 2000s, you know, uh, the world has changed the landscape just through, you know, global warming that you cannot find snow peaks when wow. they were when they were trying Amazing. to shoot this thing. Yeah, and so they actually ended up shooting 
some of that movie in the Andes. And here you guys are shooting a similar survival story. Um, I mean, that one's more of a bit of a revenge movie uh, with survival almost entirely through it. But uh, here you are actually in South America shooting this thing. Uh, how much did you guys have to battle the elements? Um you know, look, shooting outdoors is always a challenge because, you know, as a film director, you like to, you know, you plan and you try and control everything. And if you're in a studio, you can control everything. Like, you right. can control everything to the last, everything. Um, when you're in the elements, the environment is in control because if it decides to rain, it's raining. If it decides to be overcast, that's what happens. So, you've got to be certainly flexible with your plan. Um, you know, we had, you know, we were based out of Bogota in Colombia. We would um, we pre-produce there for a couple of months, maybe three or four months. We would get in little planes and fly around and try and look for, um, you know, locations. Then we'd spot things and go to villages and, and you know, we'd strike out from, from Bogota and then go and stay in a village that was probably two or three hours out of Bogota. And then we'd travel another hour and a half or two hours into a location. And then for one of the main locations we had... Um, we had uh, we'd get out of the at the village. Then we had to hike into the jungle. Then we'd pull our gear onto donkeys, and then we'd put or bur- burros. Sure, burros. Yeah. Oh. We call them donkeys. Yeah, in they call them burros. No, they're 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 pack. They're basically pack donkeys. They're donkeys, guys. They're right. Donkeys. I was you trying to be sorry. I was trying to. No, be cool. I am both Mexican and American, and I'm just going to sign it off right here. They're donkeys. Burros are donkeys. So <laughs> go ahead. Next okay. time you order a burrito, yeah, and say you want a little donkey. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> they'll, they'll look at you like you're crazy, <laughs> but hey, uh, is it where that comes from? Bur- burrito, yeah, it's a, uh, uh, burro, burro, right? So burrito is a little right. donkey. Uh, cool, I didn't know that. <laughs> this is an education. Um, but no, so we get on a with with a packer, like you're on the donkeys and hiking in the jungle, and then wow. basically for all the river, se- you know, when people see the film, they'll right. see this very extensive river sequences. That location was, you know, was way in the jungle and we had to walk around the side of a mountain and then basically um, once we got to that location, we then had to basically, the crew had set up a, a ladder, like a, a, a bamboo ladder that would have been maybe 30, 40 feet down to the side of the riverbank to get down to the spot we wanted to go to. They're, you're, they're carrying equipment up and they're down the side. They're gear up and down. Uh, up and, all the gear had they're to get down. They're making a bamboo? But yeah, I don't know why it was bamboo. Like, but I'm like saying, what kind of grips did you guys? Have? Like, <clears throat> you should have seen. Actually, it's insane. That wasn't that wasn't the funniest. You know, it was fairly on the fly that kind of stuff. But look, it was it was safe, and we had, everyone had safety right. wires and stuff. But just in terms of the the difficulty, manpower needed. It's like oh, there was hundreds of people, you know, running around trying to you know get gear down, and you know, it was also when we first went searching in Colombia for locations it was there'd been a five or six year drought so it was really oh, wow. dry mm-hmm. we went back to australia to north queensland where we shot a little bit of the, um we shot the second part of the film in queensland but the okay. first part we were trying to do the bulk of the river stuff in colombia and it was dry when we first went there when we went back there the rain started so what happened then was the problem was we were shooting in this river location and uh, the, if the rain started further up the river the next morning we'd come back and the whole location would be underwater you can't control the fluctuation no so we were literally shooting a scene. There's a scene in the film when um, Daniel and Alex are stuck on this rock in the middle of the river. We came back to that location the next morning and they stopped us and said, don't go back there because it's now 20 feet underwater. So right. there's no location, rock. it's no rock. And so we had to basically wait till the water subsided and went down. But what was really lucky about that flooding was that um, we were able to get incredible images of raid, like, you know, incredible sure. raging rivers that we needed for the storm sequence. 
So we managed to shoot all that stuff at that point. At that point. But I mean, are you freaking out? Is your AD freaking out that you guys are losing days? I mean, are you losing days? I mean, are you you're losing? You're definitely. I mean, if you're if you're hiking stuff up and down a bamboo ladder, you're losing hours. Yeah, I mean, and it's I mean, unavoidable. How effectively? I mean, how long? First of all, how many days did you guys shoot in Bogota? Um, probably about four or five weeks, I think, in Bogota. Four or five weeks, and then with uh, with an equal half, in, another equal half in Australia. In yeah. Australia, yeah, uh, which you could control a little bit more of. It was still in the jungle, man. Listen, you got to find yourself a nice I'm team tr- comedy. I'm trying to do a a nice team comedy. Right, everything's great. Maybe he gets the girl, maybe he doesn't, but he definitely learns about himself. I think that's what I'm looking for. It's my next script. It all takes place in one room. Because it sounds... I mean, hey, man, you signed up for it. <laughs> you have no sympathy for well, me. Well, I'm not trying to get sympathy. I'm just describing what happened. The movie's really... Guys, watch I can't, the movie. The movie's really damn good. But the entire time I'm watching it, and I'm trying... You know, and there's there's sequences in the movie where it floods, and you see the full fury of uh, of, of the rain coming down the mountain... And there are close-ups, and I'm like, that, that stuff's on stage? No, it's all real. Come on. <laughs> really? Yeah. Okay, there's – that just seemed nuts that you're shooting this thing. <laughs> he gave us – I get so excited. Um, so, we only, yeah, there are sequences yeah. where, he, where he's in like a bit of a of – a, he's, he's found himself in a bit of a crevice, in a bit of a little little wedge between two – like in a ravine. Yeah, that's in location. A very yeah. narrow ravine. Yeah. And he's – pushed himself up against the wall to keep himself from getting completely swept down the side of the damn mountain. You're telling me... Location. Location. Yeah. And I was like, they have to have controlled this because... We control, I mean, we did, control the water. We control the water. But that's, but that's all in location. It's a lot of water. It's a lot of water. It was a lot of water, yes. which is great. I'm not yes. saying it's excessive. Yeah, Obviously, yeah. the movie is very effective. Yeah. But watching that, I was like... Come on, they'd only let you pull that off on a stage or something. I mean, this is a multi-million dollar actor. I mean, yeah. Daniel Radcliffe's a very valuable actor. Yeah, no, we couldn't you lose know. it. Well, I mean, look, you know, that, and that was one of the things, you know, that sequence when he gets washed down that river, like we had Daniel on a, um, a safety harness. Sure. And that river is, re- it's as dangerous as it looks in the movie. Like the river was genuinely dangerous. And, you know, that was probably one of my most nerve-wracking things I've done Um Filmmaking wise, was doing that sequence because we had because you're you about know, to cost everybody Harry Potter sequels. I'm about you to. You could have been the guy in like when they go prequels or when they go like when they go Star Wars here yeah, in like another. Yeah. Eh, we got 15 years. Yeah, another 15 years when they start doing like episodes, you know, seven, eight, nine of the Harry Potter movies. Like yes. you could have avoided. Yeah, like you could have just ended it right there. Ended it right there. Yeah. Well, it it was it. I mean, it's it was kind of nerve wracking because you've got a, a, a you know a, a person, but also a really famous actor right. on the end of a rope. Throwing him into the rapids, and if that rope does, you know, if he gets away from that rope, he's gone. It's a cable. It's right? a cable. A cable? Okay. Uh, um, is he loving it? Because I mean, he was, that is, that is no, character. Like that's he, the character. Like I mean, he, he, he's you know, doing it. He absolutely embraced the. Um, you know, from the moment we kind of spoke about the script and the uh, and the book, we were both you know co- totally committed to going all the way with doing this, re- doing it right because we had a responsibility to it, and also it's an sure. amazing challenge as, as a as a director and also as an actor. Like, as an actor, to play that role and to go through that, you know, huge gamut of emotions from, you know, carefree fun and adventure and, you know, hanging out with this gorgeous girl and getting drunk and stuff, to the the, the complex relationship stuff that happens to the, the real horror and suspense of the end. 
it's a huge journey for an actor. So, and he was totally up for all that. And also the weight, the weight loss as well. Like that was a yeah. huge part of it as well. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about that. But you didn't do like a Lawrence Olivier thing. It's like I'm not going to ask an actor to do anything. I'm not going to do, it. and then you strap the freaking thing to yourself and get out in the, in the river. You didn't do that, did you? Um, no, but I would have. I've done that yeah. before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've done that. Well, actually, I did that with um, when we're doing Rogue. We uh-huh. um, we were shooting a scene with Sam Worthington, and he didn't want to go in the river because. There might or might not have been a sighting of a saltwater crocodile in that area. An actual one, right? And um, and I I said, look, you know, I'll swim across the river and I'll show you it's safe. And so I jumped in and swam across the river and swam back and, and in front of the crew. And I wasn't being a dick. I was just saying, look, it's it's fine. You won't get eaten by a crocodile. Right. And um, and uh, when I swam back, he kind of had to do the, he had to go in the water. You know. So we yeah, you co- showed him up a little. We bit. We had to, you know, we had to do a couple of takes where he got he kind of gets where he gets spun off the back of that boat. Yeah. But he was really scared. And, and then, and actually, just after that, um, after I'd done that swim across, and my swim across was much longer than his falling in and getting pulled out three right. or four times. The, the, the ranger, one of the rangers there, actually came up to me and said, Actually, yeah, we did see a, um, one of my men. <laughs> <laughs> he did see a huge crocodile in there. Oh, man. And I'm like, Like I'm, that day? Yeah, that previous night. Oh, but they're crazy. Mainly, but they're mainly hunted nights. All you Australians are crazy. All you Australians are crazy. That's what they're mainly hunted nights. So and this was <laughs> the, this was about probably two in the afternoon. So I was probably okay. But he the, he said yes. My buddy did see a um a saltwater crocodile last night. And I would look. They're mainly hunted night. And I'm a fast swimmer. I was certainly faster after that story. Um. Yeah. What is it about your continent that's so crazy? <laughs> we're basically we're, we're so far away from everything. We just like a little. We're like a lost island that just does her own thing. Like everybody is crocodile Diddy. Everybody is the croc hunter. And I imagine if I give you a rifle, you're Quigley Down Under. But Quigley Down Under came from the States. Right. No, yes. The bad guy was the Australian. Right. I love that movie. Yeah. Tom <laughs> um, Selleck. Love- and Laura Sangiacomo as well in a yes. great role. And, uh, and, and Alan Rickman. Oh, was Alan Rickman? Alan Rickman was the bad rancher oh, who Alan- hired Quigley. <laughs> From the States. What a great movie. <laughs> that movie's really... Actually, Directed by Simon Windsor? I'm not sure. Um, I was recommending scripts to read, and that one's like such a clean script. It's right. Just a nice, it's like a really great script that gets overlooked. Yeah. And I just well, remember who, watching... You know, you don't know who wrote it? It wasn't Jeffrey Bohm. You have to find it. Right, okay. But uh, Geekscapist, if you want a little bit of a film education and you want to see the overlooked stuff, I think Quickly Down Under is one of those really clean yeah. scripts that sets out the mechanics of the story very clearly. And yeah. Um, and just it was pretty nice. Um, but I how did we get onto that? We got because you Australians are crazy, and the fact that you ran, a, you, you swam across this, it's so macho. Do you find yourself like because you worked with a bunch of uh, more Americans in the Belko experiment, right? Which was, do you think that that was a script James wanted to direct before the whole he, audience he wrote thing? It, yeah, he wrote he wrote it to direct about seven years ago, and that's James Gunn. Yeah, yeah. So James, it was one. Of, I think you know his career started by. Um, you know, writing screenplays. Mm-hmm. He wrote one that got a lot of attention, and he just came out here and started writing scripts. Well, he did that trauma movie. Yeah, <laughs> he did the the trauma and Juliet, and, Juliet. Yeah. and then he came out here and did the Scooby Doo films. He wrote the Scooby Doo. Uh, he, he did yeah. b- before those. He wrote a couple of specs that people would just really love. The okay, that like, went around the town. as like this guy's a great writer. He got that gig. I think he got the gig writing the. Uh, the Dawn of the Dead. Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, that was that was done by um, Zack Snyder. Zack Snyder. And uh, and then we loved him. Uh, we had him. We interviewed him a few times because obviously Slither. Yep. Appeals to you, Geekscapist. Yeah. And Super. Super. Yeah. Appeals to you, Geekscapist. And yeah. I remember having a couple uh, 
you know, interviews here and there, like wonder cons and stuff yeah, yeah. with James. Uh, and so his trajectory was a little bit indie. Yeah. Oh, totally. I mean, I mean, he was, but, but I think, you know, the interesting thing about James is he was writing, he was working in the big studio system, writing screenplays for other sure. directors. And then, you know, um, we got his chance to make his films. And then it, it, it's fascinating because he was clearly focused on, you know, telling horror, make, you know, Slither's a great horror movie, but also mm-hmm. horror comedy. So a lot of comedy in that. And then Super is, is again, has that very dark tone, but it's essentially a superhero film. Right. So all those things were perfectly sort of setting him up to go and do something like Guardians, which is an adventure comedy, you know, with a kind of very, you know, there's such a kind of depth of his knowledge about the comic book world as well, and that book is, you know, yeah. it's, obvious, it's on display. And there's something, like, really punk rock about the guy, too. Mm. Like, he's still a punker. He's yeah. still a punk rocker, and he's still making stories about outcasts, you yeah. know, and people who have been uh, pretty much have been stepped on mm. a lot. And, uh, you know, if you look at the role, you know, the sheriff in Slither is sort of in a dead-end town. Right. Uh, the, uh, you know, the, the main characters in, in Super right. are people who have just been ignored or dumped on. I mean, he's yeah, yeah. literally been dumped by his girlfriend, Liv Tyler, yeah. for, uh, for Kevin Bacon. And then the entire cast of the Guardians right. are these rejects who in, just they're criminals. They're right. space criminals. And in fact, I think one of the first groups he sold was called um, the the, lose, the Losers? It was a superhero? Yeah, The Losers. Yes. I forgot about The Losers. The losers. It was like reject yes. superheroes. It's like a bunch of reject superheroes. Yeah. So obviously he, he you know connects with and tells the story of those underdogs who, you know, transcend their circumstances and find, you know. So Belko Experiment, I had not watched it. Um, but uh, it's it it seems to me like the same kind of setup where the kind of uh, downtrodden uh, office space ignored you know service only employees are now set upon each other right in a battle royale type situation yeah and it's party time and chaos <laughs> ensues. Um, your films come from I believe a different place. I feel I feel like you're you I feel like you make um, quote unquote smaller human films against these natural elements and we can always talk about where that comes from we can psychoanalyze you here on Geekscape <laughs> and um, and and now you're inheriting a script by somebody because you usually had your hand in the mm-hmm. scripts coming in there right. how, much, how much did you reinterpret Belko Experiment in order to get your head around characters that were, this is where I was going a long way to get here, but mm. uh, characters that were inherently James's type of characters mm-hmm. you know, how did you uh, find some kind of resonance in those? Um, I didn't, I mean, I didn't change the script really at all. Like right. I, I just, the, the first draft of the script that I read, I, I loved, I didn't really want to change a, change a word. Um, to me, it was just a, a, I just thought it was just a perfect script. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, I was, you know, I guess thematically I, I'm drawn more towards, um, you know, people, most of my films deal with characters in you know, going out of their, their ordinary world, going into another sort of place and being confronted with things that draw things out of them they have never thought they had um which you know lends itself to the man against nature theme or woman against nature where people have sure. to confront something primary and you know it transforms them in some way um you know james's theme is obviously different and you know i guess you're right a lot of his films do talk about characters who are kind of losers or outsiders who will get thrust with some huge responsibility they've got to deal with it and how they deal with it is the, is the story <laughs> but i think um uh, you know, regardless of my own thematic interests, the, the 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 power of this script was essentially about a bunch of people. For me, 
you know, been who were kind of nobodies but given this huge moral question. What do you do if you're given a life of this situation and it's your co-workers and you have to decide who to kill or who not to kill? Or do you do you play the game or do you not play the game? So the script worked on four or five levels to do with, um, you know, the basic one of the, the sort of fun of that concept. There's a suspense element to it because it's basically a huge ticking clock about they're going to kill... If he doesn't kill a certain amount of his co-workers in the next hour, they're going to kill double More, that number. Right. So it's kind of this huge moral question. It's also just a big... Um, examination of for me i mind the you know what i was excited about sort of talking about thematically was what corporations do to people and the way that the corporate idea basically acts to grind down the human soul into there's dust. Your natural element there's, yeah. your, there's your uh faceless kind of force of nature yeah well right. and and that's how i connected to it because to me it was basically um the monster the unseen monster in the story is the concept of this corporate machine that grinds human souls and dreams. And what you're dealing with is that you've got these characters that are kind of fighting against that ideology and it, may, and it forces them to become monsters to each other. So the corporate, you know, for me what the corporate machine does is basically turn people into monsters because you, you know, when the kind of bottom line becomes more important than the human spirit or the human individual, you do have people acting monstrously to each other. And that's what Barco to me was all about. And I'm not sure that was what James was interested in when he was writing it, but it was certainly my interpretation of what mm-hmm. I thought it should be about. And uh, and how would how do you guys? I mean, are you happy with the movie? I, I've honestly not seen it. Yeah. And, uh, but I have friends, uh, some who are like, "Oh, this is just excessive," you know what I mean? And and I can imagine having seen how you treat poor Daniel Radcliffe. Uh, it would be rough for me to get through that film, uh, and there and I have friends who are like, "Wow, this is great commentary, and this is actually a really, really fun movie to watch." Right? And you know, I I love it. I wouldn't I wouldn't change a frame. I mean, I got to make you know, and pa- and partly because James's success with with Guardians, and it's really why the film got made because you know we now had a, a studio MGM saying we want to we really want to make this film, um, and James's main thing was yes, we'll. Well, I'll get it made and I'll produce it, but um, I've got to choose the director, and I've got to you've got to be able to do the script as it is. Right. We don't want any interference. Uh, did you pitch for the film or? Did, yeah. Did you, wow. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so all those pieces started coming together. The so in your pitch, you basically told him what you kind of told me is it was that yeah. you, your I, I well yeah. I just I just I just. Just enthused about it. I just right. told him why why I was why I really liked it, and also then I talked about what I thought would make it um, uh, work as a movie. How I wanted to do the film, which was to me it was about you know creating a very strong stylistic sense of counterpoint between the um, the the form of the surface of the film versus the content of it. So I thought that, that concept of counterpoint was a key thing um, because it should look very. Slick and normal, and yeah, sterile, and almost. sterile, yeah. and then basically, as the movie goes through, it completely um, transforms into being hellish and nightmarish and mm. upside down and and horror. And that's where your visceral, strength. right? I mean, not I don't want to call them your visceral strengths because I think you have a lot a lot of strengths, and I would love for uh, them to get more discovered. Uh, for sure, go see Jungle, but the, the visceral nature of what you do, and there are parts of again Jungle where I'm like. He's going to do... Oh, okay. Okay. We're doing that scene. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow. Um, with the sound design, with right. the effects, with the... It, it's, it, it all kind of works. I can only imagine the textures we see at the end of Balco Experience. <laughs> and, and also, look, ultimately, Balco, you know, for me, you know, 
to, to me, success with that film would be achieving exactly what I set out to do, which was to make sure that, A, it was really, really entertaining. Um, B, that people emotionally connected to the characters because they're such great characters. I really wanted to do service to, to the writing because I thought the writing was so good and I, I, the characters were so great. And we were lucky enough to get a really phenomenal ensemble of actors. And the other thing was that I did have my, you know, I, I wanted to talk specifically about it but not hit people over the head with the idea about what I thought the movie was saying. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting because when the film came out, some people were totally grossed out by it and couldn't see through that. They missed the very dark comedy of it because to me it's hilarious. I find, I find um, personally I find, you know, when you have that kind of extreme violence, it kind of becomes ridiculous and it becomes, to me, kind of Sam Raimi-ish, kind of Evil Dead stuff. Sure. Obviously, our tone's a little bit more serious, but it's kind of, it, it should be clear to the audience that this is meant to be funny or fun. Or, Farcical. Yeah. yeah, it's not real. Um, and there so, are movies like Crank, et cetera, that do yeah. that high-octane, yeah, yeah. balls-to-the-wall style. It's, t- it's, it's sort of tone, it's the tone of how you do it. You know, for example, there's, there's Wolf Creek violence, which is deadly serious and very, very bleak and very scary and depressing. This was kind of fun. You know, it should have been... It, like the goal was to make it fun for the audience. And, um, you know, a lot of people loved it and some people didn't quite get it. I think for some people it was probably a bit too far. But, you know, it's, right. well, it's not for them. They should go and watch something else. You felt something, which is... I mean, I, I teach film twice a week and that's like the thing that I say with my students. I'm like, if you're going to fail, fail spectacularly yeah. because you went for it yeah. and you made them feel something. Yeah. <laughs> and, also, and also the thing is... Um, you know, do the movie that you want. You know, you, you can't you make the film that you fall, fall in love with something and then make other people fall in love with it. Or just tell the story that you, you want to see. And that's all you can ever do. Right. It's okay to piss people off sometimes, folks. It's almost like... It's a, not, we don't work in advertising. Let's yeah. put that way. We're not yeah. trying to sell it's something. It's almost like a James Gunn approach, too. It's like, piss them off. Right. You know, it's like something you could hear James doing. Uh, Geekscape is... Uh, want to uh, pause and remind you guys real quick that this coming week, I forgot, I was so excited to talk to Greg... We are going to be this weekend at Stan Lee's LA Comic Con. We have booth number 503. There's a very funny story behind that booth. Um, both Regina, Keith, and I got very busy and we looked up and we were like, so we're gathering all the stuff for the Geekscape booth. I've been promoting the Geekscape booth for a while now, you all know. And I was like, what's our number? And we look up and there was no Geekscape booth. None of us had actually done the work of assigning a booth. <laughs> And uh, it wasn't until I logged in to try and get the badges for my staff, which I want you all to meet that weekend as we uh, give you guys shirts and giveaways and all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I said, wait, we're, we're not listed. Where are we? <laughs> and, and, and we <laughs> Out on the sidewalk. Guys, the, the convention starts in a week. And, Someone uh, should do, the, do if, the, uh... if anything tells you how busy Regina and Keith are getting you guys this convention – and also how amazingly personal an experience it is. Uh, and I love, I'm very proud of this convention. I love having been a part of it, the, the, its entire history. Uh, I just called them up and I'm like, whoa, I think we need to figure this out. <laughs> and so we have a booth. It's number 503. And uh, come by, say hi, and then you can go see all these amazing people who are coming by. The Rock is coming on Saturday. Cool. I just hope he's not going on the main stage when uh, we're having our live Geekscape at 3 uh, with um, with uh, Guardians of the Galaxy writer um, Gary Dugan is my guest, and I'm really excited to talk to him about. Uh, oh, it's Jerry. It's spelled like Gary, but it's it's Jerry. I better clean that up before we do our our, our podcast. But uh, yeah, Geekscape. I want to see you guys there. So booth five hundred three. I can now announce because we just got that number a few hours ago. 
Um, all right, let's let's get some questions here, and then I gotta let you go because I could talk to you all day, as you can tell. Um, but let's talk to the Geekscapists. I reach, these are specifically from the Horror Movie Night podcast group, and basically, uh, Andrew Andy Rattinger, somebody I went to, to film school with, he's amazing. Said, "Can he please just make more killer croc gator films?" Sure, I love them <laughs> in Rogue, uh, and Rogue was way better than Rogue One. Rogue <laughs> was right better than Rogue One. <laughs> Welcome to Geekscape. Sure, <laughs> sure. I well, I mean, look, you in. know, do, do you know what do you know what Rogue's Rotten Tomatoes score is? No, I do. What's right? What's the Rotten Tomatoes? Hundred. Is it really? Hell yes. Did they send you a little plaque? Do Do you get plaques? Yeah, you got to get your what? plaque, dude. Yeah. Is it a recent thing? Because it came out in 2007. I don't care. Go get a plaque because you are absolutely certified fresh. And there are Pixar movies that are on 100. There, what? There are Pixar movies like sitting at 99, 97, 98. Like, I don't think the Toy Story movies are on 100. I'm going to call them today. You need to get your plaque. Yeah, they send you a little certified fresh plaque. You got to get it. I'm, 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 I'm get seriously, it. I'm, I'm walking out of here. I'm going to call them. Rogue's awesome. Rogue sequel? Could be. Could be it's something you want to do. Well, uh, it's probably it's probably not something that I would direct, but I do right. do pr- I produce uh, movies as well. So it may be something that I that I produce. I'm I'm very passionate about saltwater crocodiles. Um, <laughs> I think they're terrifying, and uh, I just have a thing for them. There's so many great stories, real life stories as well, of of incredible crocodiles, crocodile attack stories. So there's certainly a rogue franchise in there. Okay, okay, that that's what, all you're going to get. Right here, so you got you got to watch the uh, the public the trades before for any more. Um, Wolf Creek. This is Scott Rogers saying Wolf Creek is a, a two is so good, uh, and then he sa- it, it says way better than it has any right to be. I don't I don't ever get that. I never get that. <laughs> what, what, what what rights was it supposed to have? Scott, it's like <laughs> Scott, you are a horror fan. Yeah, it, sh- are, it shouldn't it shouldn't be good. Yeah, it's like what genre? Why, like why are you rolling around in it? If for the most part the, it the, should the be average bad. sum be is not good. Uh, I think what he, I, you know what I think I can answer is I, he, he wants another Mick Taylor romp. Well, Wolf Creek TV series first season came out last year on Pop Network and distributed in the US by Lionsgate Home Entertainment. Okay, and that's on the Blu-ray and on the that's maybe on, Netflix yep. and stuff. It's, well, it's I think it's on Netflix, but it's available in the US now. Okay, so the Wolf Creek TV series with six six one hour episodes, and then right now, like literally tonight, I'm tech checking episode the last episode of the new season. So. New season of Wolf Creek TV show spinoff is out. I think it's going to be out in the U.S. either December or January. Um, so you have much more Mick Taylor to enjoy. But I think what he means by um, by better than you know better than has a right to be was that most horror sequels are terrible because um, the original creators get fired. Sure, the producer owns the property, hires some other people to come in and they do some piece of crap. Um, because I'm I own the rights to Wolf Creek, I make sure that each thing is better than the last thing. So I'm, and that's why I know what he means because Wolf Creek is a really, really kick-ass movie. Wolf Creek Two, um, I directed it. I was the co-writer, co-writer on it. I was, you know, I wanted to make a better movie than the first one. And with the TV shows, we're taking it a notch up again. Like if you check out the TV shows, that they're amazing. The writing's incredible. The acting's amazing. Because you know, my feeling is is that if you have the opportunity to kind of control something creatively, you should make sure that you're trying to do something better or more interesting every single time. And um, you know, frankly, Wolf Creek, for people who haven't seen it, it's one of my favorite pieces of filmmaking I've done. The film, you know, it, it's a sequel to a, you know, Australian horror film that was 
you know, so so commercially successful when it first comes out. So people was never going to be a blockbuster hit. But the filmmaking in the movie is is fantastic. The sequel or the the sequel, the sequel, yeah. yeah. It works in an entirely different way to um to um you know to the first film because it's much more of an action comedy. And interestingly, my you know cinematographer from that film went on to do Get Out. Oh wow! And my editor from that film. Uh, from the first Wolf Creek went on to uh, do it. Oh wow! So interesting how a lot of these Australian Two amazing horror movies are yeah. coming out this year. Yeah. Uh, uh, Scott, you're off the hook. <laughs> um, Andy's back. He says, "Hey, uh-huh. when you ask him about making a sequel to Rogue, tell him alligators are so evil they eat sharks." Have you heard? I mean, you've heard the stories of alligators eating uh-huh. sharks. Yeah. Okay. Shark versus alligator movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, sure. Scott Danielson says, "Is it easier or harder to write a script for a single?" character like a single uh, person protagonist because because like on something with belco i know you didn't write belco but you're you're really doing uh, a lot of uh plate spinning with multiple characters right but now you have the in a lot you know the movies that we've been talking about most of them have this singular character like in jungle with you only have to focus on the trials of that protagonist at mm. a time it's not quite the plate spin of keeping them all in the area once um i mean yeah belco is an ensemble character sure. piece um as is rogue um, I don't know. I th- look, I th- you know, to me, it's it's. I approach it in the same way because mm-hmm. it's all about you know. Even if you know the character in Jungle is dealing with, I mean, it's essentially a four-hander for most of it. Then becomes about one character. So, you know, I don't know. I don't. I don't see a differentiation. I still think it's it's all just storytelling. It's all just trying to be truthful with character, and I don't see a difference to it. Right. That's a good answer. Uh, not, uh, I'm just scoring you on the answers. Thank right. you. But I got, I got eight and a half. <laughs> yeah, I got, I got a two with the... <laughs> now you're working. Um, and Matt Kelly, the host of Horror Movie Night, just says, ask him his favorite Killer Croc Gator movies and why it is Alligator from 1980. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, Matt, I know that you were so, such a fan of Alligator. And uh, I love you, Matt. You I love been, it. Alligator is a, it's a, it's a great, great film. I mean, I think, you know... It's just such a. It's a really, really good movie. And you know, talk about movies that are better than it has a right to be. Right. <laughs> you know, right. And there are a lot of those it's, gems that you find yeah. where you're like, wait a minute, like it's fun and it has a great. And the, and the thing about the movie is, which a lot of the movies that are about big crocodiles don't have, um, which I think if people do see Rogue, they will see for the first time probably the best visual effects and most realistic physicality of a crocodile you'll ever see on any anything that's ever been done. Right. Because we, we spent months and months and months, you know, just, uh, scanning and tracking real crocodiles and texturizing. So if you want to see an incredible piece of visual effects and an accurate representation of a crocodile on, on, on film, see Rogue. But the animatronic one in Alligator is equally as badass in a different way because it's basically, it's, it's, it's animatronic, so you mm-hmm. can tell it's a big puppet. But it still does some cool stuff. And when it's eating that, uh, goes to that, um, there's a big function that goes and arrives and starts yeah. throwing people around the, around the uh-huh. room. And, <laughs> I mean, you can't get better than that. And how they pull it off. That's the one thing that I always ask, like, how they pull it off? And it always goes back to one of my favorite big monster movies is the original King Kong and all the math right. that had to go into effect with all the different frame rates and things. That you had to, and the projections that you had to shoot with and the stop motion. It just makes your nose bleed thinking about yeah. the math that they had to do in the 30s to make King Kong. Um do you, I mean, I remember when, when uh, Wolf Creek came out, I remember when Rogue came out, and, like, there was that whole kind of, like, influx of movies because we had J-Lo's Anaconda movie came out around Right, time. Anaconda was out probably two years before it Rogue. Was, I mean, do you think that set kind of the climate yeah. for, like, Rogue to get made? But, like, Anaconda's not, I mean, no offense, Anaconda's but fans, but um, 
you know, we went to see that movie in theaters, not necessarily to be excited by it. And there were many laughs. This river will kill you a thousand different ways. Oh, John Voight in that John Voight had an accent from about 15 nations. Yeah, he's like, Duke Janaganda. You need bait. And he shoots the monkey out of the tree, which there may or may not be a scene mm. like that in Jungle. Wow. Uh, I can see the link. I, I kind of prefer the jungle shooting the monkey out of the scene, <laughs> out of the tree scene, uh, than the anaconda one. Uh, my favorite is Ice Cube basically <laughs> taking like a Glock. Yes. He yes. takes like a Glock to the yes. anaconda at the end. <laughs> but he does, he's, can I say the word, the B-I-T-S-C? Yes, go for it. He's still I think I think he says... Eat that bitch yeah, as like, he shoots it in the face. <laughs> it's like he's like, come on, come it's on, like, bitch. It's like it's in South Central. Uh, he he gets a little gangster on the uh, on the anaconda who basically cops you know three in the face and and vanishes. <laughs> what we have to do, Greg? We have to do a Geekscape sponsored Greg monster <laughs> movie uh, hosted. Maybe not a festival, <laughs> but like at least a double header. Where we right. maybe show Rogue, yes, but also show Anaconda. I'm, I'm and we just so <laughs> down for that. We'd be laughing around. No offense, Anaconda fans. Again, like everyone in that movie, like we, like goes on to do some pretty cool stuff. Yeah, but the, the movie John, John Boyd, his accent is so. Much, I mean, Owen Wilson. Owen Wilson, well, he's in it, but it's but he's um, like the dude. It, this, but literally, it's a kind of really great cast. Uh huh. And it's a, it's actually a good script. It's a fun idea. It's basically Creature from the Black Lagoon with an anaconda. Right. That's what it is. Scientific team go up the jungle <laughs> looking for something. They find a big anaconda. It's it's a super fun script. I mean, the visual effects are ridiculous. Yeah. The the anaconda moves at light speed. I mean, it, 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 its visual <laughs> its visual effects are only second second in terms of absurdity to Deep Blue Sea. Deep Blue Sea was the next thing which, I was going to bring like, up. Which like you know is also you know. If you read that script as a script, you'd go, that could be a really good movie. But it's just not, and it's just ridiculous. And um, the Sharks, I, I never... I'm All not, respect to Reddy Harlan. Yeah. All respect to Reddy Harlan. Love, love the cliffhanger. Cliffhanger's a Nightmare on Elm Street 4. He's awesome. All respect. But I don't know, I'm not a marine biologist, but I'm pretty <laughs> sure fish can't, you know, sharks can't reverse. Because in that movie, there is a lot of scenes of sharks going... And backing out of situations... <laughs> Don't they have gills and if you go backwards, they drown? Isn't that the whole principle of sharks moving forward? And you also have a scene of someone, LL Cool J, playing street and taking on a giant monster. Yes. And do you know, do you know what else he does? He's that's like, right. He's like, yes. He, that's he's the link. Chef, and he's like, he's like, you shouldn't eat my bird or something like that. And he's, and he's taking like a he's taking like a. We're seeing a link to this. But it, it always ends with... Uh, so Rogue 2, all I'm saying... All I'm saying, Rogue right. Two, ludicrous. We get ludicrous. Like someone, like a ludicrous. Just put, pick somebody in the Fast and Furious movies, right? And they just gotta like take a Glock to this Gator. <laughs> I'm just, you know, I, like, isn't there a new movie coming out called um, Snakes Out of Compton or something? Snake out, of, <laughs> Snake out of Compton. I don't know. There's a new movie. I read this I thing. I mean, people I, saying the movie I'm, Snake Out, of, and it's like a giant, like giant <laughs> snake in Compton. I don't, I don't know. All I'm saying is Rogue Two. <laughs> Electric Boogaloo. Yeah, you got to throw some it. Boogaloo in it. We're gonna at the end. It will end with a scene with someone with a Glock. AK. AK forty-seven. AK forty-seven. Just sit on it. Just think about I'm, it. I'm calling Jason Blum after this. After this, <laughs> I'm going straight over to Blum House. <laughs> um, We're doing it. All right, Geeks Gamers. We've uh, we've had some fun, uh, Greg. Dude, thank you for thank you very on the show, much, man. This is so much be. fun. Pleasure to be. Here. This is Geekscape. Sometimes we get a little intellectual, and sometimes we just let it fly. I think you've had a little bit of both. <laughs>
The movie is called Jungle. It's got Daniel Radcliffe. It's based on a true story. It's uh, fantastic. I think you uh, you all should uh, watch it. If you're listening to this in the States, the movie is out. You guys can get it on your PlayStations. You can watch it. But there's also this is also a cool movie. I think this would be a cool movie to watch some of these uh, really visceral scenes in a theater because right. that's a great place to see them when you watch a movie like The Raid or a cool action movie or a cool horror movie in the theater. That's what the theater experience I, I is best at for me is these communal experiences. And there's some really cool sequences in this movie that you're going to get some cringes and some ah, some shouts and stuff. So. And we did mix it in Dolby 5.1 Atmos. Yeah. So basically uh, it's the sound design is a huge part of it and it's a, it's a beautifully mixed movie. Um, and the score is incredible as well. You know, it's an incredibly lush, beautiful score. Uh, by Johnny Climac, who's an Aussie but lives in LA, actually just moved to Spain, but he does oh, the Wachowski's wow. movie. Movies. Oh wow! So Geekscape is again what we're telling you is you can download it sure on your PlayStation, your Xbox, or your iTunes. It it would be cool to see this in the theater. All right, and uh, expect Rogue Two <laughs> Mon- next Monday. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to shoot it this weekend. It's in the sewers. The sewers of South Central. <laughs> And they got a gator down there, and it's gonna get. <laughs> this is sounding really cool. No comment. You know what? Like, you know what? <laughs> when, when you know I, this, you've been um, on Geekscape too long, gears, are, gears like, are turning, creative is, wheels are turning. This is all. I'll just get James Gunn to script it. Yeah. How expensive do you think he is? James, <laughs> I, I maybe we may not be able to afford him to do the first draft. <laughs> well, you know, he can do three words on a napkin. Right. Maybe what we right. can afford from James. Um, what's fun is uh, his when he was doing the PG porn. We were I was doing two things right, over right. at Fox, and uh, my B camera operator Pete Alton was shooting and editing PG porn. Right. At the same time, we were doing When Ninjas Attack, and uh, and so whenever Pete would have dinners over his place and parties and stuff, I'd, I'd see James. Uh, but Pete himself is a crazy person, and I totally, totally love the language that they speak, man. Uh, all right. Geekscape is, we've taken up a lot of time. Uh, you guys can find us online, geekscape.net. We've got all the social media. Just search for Geekscape. You'll find us. We're going to be at Stanley's LA Comic Con this coming weekend at um, Booth 503. And, uh, Greg, where can we find you online? You're on Twitter. I'm on, on Twitter, stuff? Uh, at Greg ACP, uh, on Instagram, um, Cosmic G, at Cosmic Greg G, which is my, my breakdancing name when I was a breakdancer when I was 15 years old. No, you're messing with it. No, no. We don't have enough time for this. Uh, I mean... <laughs> Look, I think that if we can get some breakdancing into Rogue 2, then we really will be Rogue 2 Electric Boogaloo. Oh, well, I mean, you remember Jurassic Park 2 when she does, like, the gymnastics and kicks the Velociraptor. <laughs> So I'm just saying we take it to the next level. Right. And not only do we stomp the yard, we stomp the gator. Oh, we stomp the I'm g- just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. Is stomp this a writer's thing? Hang, wait, 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 hang on. Hang on. You're writing it down. I'm much cheaper than James. Stomp the gator. Okay. I'm Question much, mark. I'm much cheaper than stomp James. Stomp the gator. Okay. For now. Right. These ideas are just fine. Come next week. These ideas are just floating out there. Uh, follow Greg on all that social media. Uh, he's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. Uh, clearly, he's a cool enough dude to come and hang out with us for a bit and talk about his new movie, Jungle, which, again, go watch it. Uh, love you guys. We are we will be back next week. Um, check out the movie. Greg, any final thoughts? Um, thank you very much for having me, Jonathan. And I wish I was coming to New York to see see your fi- 504. Is it yeah. Booth uh, 504? Booth 503. No, that's here in L.A. Oh, it's in, it's next in LA? weekend. Next, I'm going on Friday back to Australia. Okay. I've got to finish the Wall Creek TV series so people can enjoy it. It's all good. So that uh, Scott Roger or Roger Scott Woodger can, can watch it. He can, he can enjoy, enjoy it. I think that was Scott. Uh, cool. 
Uh, dude, thank you so much, man. Thanks for being here.